AT&T Connects and Ode to Podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Welcome to Hello Somebody, a production of the Black Effect Podcast Network and iHeartMedia, where we rage against the machine, where we raise our voices against injustice and stand up for justice, where we embrace hope and joy with an optimism for a brighter, more just future. Each week, I'll be dropping knowledge, whether it's a solo episode from me or a hearty discussion with esteemed guests doing great things in spaces and places of politics, entertainment, social justice, and beyond. We get real, baby. I mean, really real. We get honest. We get up close and personal for you. Yes, you. Because everybody is somebody. Before we begin, I want to give a special shout out to my team. Thank you, Sim. Tiffany, Sam, and the team over at Good Juju Studios, Erica England, Pepper Chambers, the hot one, and my social media team. Hello, somebody. Before I begin today, I want to give a very special shout out to all of the teachers and educators on every single level of the educational spectrum, from preschool teachers, well, to the first teachers, which should be mama and daddy, and don't leave out the grandmas, the yayas, hello somebody, to (laughs) formal teachers who teach in a classroom whether it's preschool, elementary school, middle school, high school, or college, universities, post-graduate education, wherever you are, baby. If you are a teacher, if you're a counselor at a camp, summer camp, and you a teacher, I just want to shout you out. So from daycare centers to enrichment centers, teachers, math teachers, all kinds of teachers, I just want to lift you up wherever you are. I am with you. And I too am a teacher, both as a mama teacher, a yaya teacher, and I I was a formal teacher in the classroom. I guess in some ways I'm still teaching because the world is my classroom, baby. Hello, somebody. Can I get a hello, somebody on that? But I did teach. I was tenured uh, professor at Cuyahoga Community College, where futures begin in Cleveland, Ohio. 
And that was one of the greatest things I've been able to do in my professional career, which is to be a college professor and to teach. And community colleges, I believe, hold a special place uh, in the educational spectrum because we take all and our sole focus is the enrichment of our students. So just sending that kind of love. And speaking of love and speaking of educators, today I am so excited to have Mary Cole Watson on our show today. Sister Watson is not only a veteran educator of over 30 years, she has also served as a Title I reading director and diversity facilitator trained by Gestalt Institute. And Mary shares her experience from the lives of children from her classroom in her debut book, Wisdom Warriors. Her acclaimed work, The 28 Lessons for African-American Youth, is included in Wisdom Warriors and was featured in our very own local newspaper, the Cleveland Plain Diller. Let's give a hello somebody welcome to Sister Mary Cole Watson. It's so good to have you here with us. I love your book. I've started reading your book and I love the cover for me. And I know a lot of people before they even start to thumb through a page of the book, the cover gets you first. It's that presentation. But uh, Wisdom Warriors, let's talk about race and includes 28 lessons for African-American youth. So I think I want to start there. 30 years in the teaching profession. What gives? Well, actually, 35 years now uh, because I've returned to the classroom part time, sort of by accident. My husband had me on Indeed and uh, I received a call in October and the recruiter said, are you still interested in a job that you applied for a year and a half ago? And I thought it was a prank call. Oh, no. Long story short, um, I told him it depends upon the hours and so on. And as it turns out, I ended up accepting a part-time position teaching reading. (laughs) Not surprised that you're teaching reading still. And uh, before we get too deep into it, Title I, a lot of people uh, don't understand the Title I and and that money Mm -hmm. um, goes to some of the poorest schools in the nation. And you uh, taught reading uh, under that banner in some of the schools that uh, have the greatest needs. Right. So I was a Title I coordinator, actually, for three years, and I supervised 13 teachers. I was promoted to that position because my reading test scores of my students were exceptionally high from year to year. And so the program is for students who need remedial help in reading, and we meet in small groups. But I know being uh, an African-American who majored in African-American history with a passion for African-American students, it was such an honor for me to lead the other instructors in how the program would operate for the system that I was working for. 12 of the 13 instructors were white professionals, and they were very, very energetic about having me and my expertise. And that was such an honor to do for those three years. Yeah, that's beautiful. And that that says a lot about you and your skill set and how you are using what I see as a gift to edify our children through the power of reading. We know that reading scores are tied to, or let's say, illiteracy and prison. Yes. You know, that there's a correlation between uh, not being able to read and prison rates. Right. 
Right. right? Absolutely. Yeah. You are definitely doing God's work in, in that way. And then we know also in the 21st century, the whole notion of education, the paradigm has shifted. It really is about lifelong learning and to be able to absolutely. learn and take in, absorb your environment in a way that enriches reading is a foundational skill to have. Absolutely. Yeah. What was it about education? I mean, did you always know that you wanted to be? Oh, let, let me tell you, I didn't go to kindergarten, but when I entered first grade, I fell in love with learning, just fell in love with it. And I knew in first grade that I wanted to be a teacher. I'm one of 11 children and I would gather several of my siblings and I would play teacher and I would teach a lesson. I would give out homework. I would give out, give tests and I would grade the tests in red <laughs> ink. I knew and it's provided me joy that is indescribable. So I was lucky enough to know precisely what it is I wanted to do. There are very few people who kind of know very early on in their lives yes. what they are destined to do. Again, I consider that very much a gift. <laughs> Unlike me, I remember hanging in my grandmother's hallway in her home. She had purchased her seven grandchildren, a set of Britannica encyclopedias. I'm, I'm dating myself now because some people listening to this are like, encyclopedias, what are those? They only know about Google, you know, but in the, in the olden days. Right. But I'm so much older than you, so you can feel better. <laughs> but just, I mean, the whole that and even then as I was daydreaming about what I might want to be when I right. grow up, being a teacher was one of those things. I also thought I wanted to be a nun. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> did you? My mother. Yes, I went to Catholic school. You did. Well, see, I get it for you. I had a dear friend of mine who was Catholic and we would switch going to service with one another. And so I did, was exposed a lot to the Catholic church because my very best girlfriend growing up, <laughs> I went to a Catholic church. My mother easily dissuaded me <laughs> from wanting to be a nun. She's like, baby, no, you don't. <laughs> you understand yeah. when you get older. So, right. but, but no, no shade to the nuns. Now, no shade to the nuns. <laughs> <laughs> So you always knew your, your grading folks paper, you got out the red ink and everything. I got to tell you, as a teacher, I decided not to use red ink because I was traumatized right. by red ink. Right. <laughs> so, I, That's what, so I started, you know, when I started teaching, I used different colored ink. Yes, me too. You know, all the different colors That's that right. the kids like. That's so. right. So we can traumatize them with the different colors and yeah. not just red. But no, I, it was a psychological thing and I wanted to not right. use red. So oh, yes. it's nice to talk oh, to yes. someone else. Because it's that failure feeling that you feel like you're failing. That's right. And I didn't want kids to, I was very sensitive to kids' feelings. Yes. So am I. And people need to be, even when you're helping them to grow academically, they also need to know that they have what it takes innately to be successful. I mean, we're such a right. who's number one driven society that right. it really, really snuffs out any creativity that people may have because if they can't be number one, who wants to be number two? If I can't get that A, then I'm not good enough. Right. And I, right. as an educator, believe in the portfolio approach. I don't think that a student should be judged simply by one test or one one yes, moment. Absolutely. 
We're on the same page with that. And I feel that that's why I was so successful with my students. Yeah. Some students are excellent at test taking. Some are not. Right. So let's do a test. Let's do community service. Let's do projects. And judge a student based on a plethora of measures and not just one. Yeah. Yes. But that that is what makes you an extraordinary uh, educator. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for the eligible bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I want to go back to the book, The 28 Lessons yes. for African-American Youth. Yes. So you created and authored this yes. book. What inspired you to develop uh, the lessons and how was the process for picking out the specific lessons? Because someone with 35 years of experience, I'm sure you had a lot to draw from. How were you able to narrow it to 28 lessons? And okay. what is it about the 28? All right. Well, first of all, when I was teaching at the high school level, I was very distressed with how African-American History Month was pretty much dismissed. And when there was a celebration, the celebration focused mainly on the food. And I noticed that there were several assemblies for the Jewish Holocaust and all the teachers encouraged their students, even though the school was predominantly black, to go to all the assemblies about the Holocaust. And these assemblies took place several times during the year. But when Black History Month assemblies took place, many teachers refused to take their students. And so I wanted the students to have 
something that they could celebrate their history every day for the month of February. So I came up with the 28 because of the 28 days in February. I wanted them to have be able to either journal or discuss the different lessons that I put together. What happened, you know, it's interesting. When I was writing the lessons, I have to be very honest with you. I sat down one day and it was almost like the spirit took over. 14 of those lessons just poured out, just poured out. I'm just writing them, writing them. One, two, three, four, five, up to 14. And I said, oh my God, this is so good. And I was so nervous that I wouldn't be able to come up with 14 more. And I, the very next day I sat down and the remaining 14 just came out. And so literally it took a couple of hours for two days. And Beautiful. at the beginning of that school year at the convocation where all the teachers have to meet in the auditorium and listen to a keynote speaker, the mayor of Cleveland Heights, University Heights, said, will Mary Cole Watson stand up? And I, I had no idea what she wanted me to stand up for. And she applauded my lessons. And she said that she felt that every single teacher should be using those lessons in their classroom. So I was honored by the fact that she felt as strongly about those lessons as I did. That's beautiful. I mean, what a tribute to you. There's a quote, I think it goes something like, never stop learning because life never stops teaching. That's right. Profound. And even in the writing of your book, I feel as though life was teaching you something in that moment and preparing you to be able to write this book all along the way. And I want to tell you how that came about. I was teaching in Cleveland for a couple of years at a charter school and all my lessons were culturally relevant. And for this one particular lesson, a female student interrupted my lesson and became very emotional. And she said, Mrs. Watson, you need to write stories to help kids feel good about themselves the way you help us feel good about ourselves. I had always wanted to write a book. I felt that the pinnacle of my profession would be to write a book. And I wanted the book to be special, something that would make a real difference in children's lives. And one day I was cleaning the house and you know how you talk to yourself out loud. I said, oh my God, that's it. That's the book. I'm supposed to write a book about racism. I went directly upstairs to the computer. I sat at the computer and I did not leave my seat until the rough draft to my very first story was written. And you know, the reception of the book has been so heartwarming. It's in four libraries right now. Cleveland Heights University Heights director said to me, oh my God, I love everything about this book. And, you know, I didn't think I'd be able to write about a topic that is so painful and give kids the joy that I wanted them to have so that they could have resilience. But my African-American history degree allowed me to do that. Majoring in African-American history is the single best decision I made in my entire life. The second would be marrying my husband. When I went to college, a mid-sized college, which was known for education and for PE, both subject areas I excelled in, I happened to walk by a door that said African-American history, and I had never had an African-American instructor. I had never been exposed to any African-American history. 
I happen to be African, by the way. My father is from Sierra Leone, Freetown, West Africa. And so I went into the office. I knocked on the door just to find out what African-American history was. I signed up for classes. And oh my God, I fell in love with being African-American. I absolutely, it changed my entire life. It gave me a joy for living beyond the tragedy and trauma of racism because I knew the truths. The focus was on the African diaspora. I'm not pronouncing that correctly, excuse me, getting a little tongue tied here. But the focus was on our phenomenal achievements before we were enslaved. Yeah. And so that gave me a joy that is indescribable that I carried with me from that day throughout my life. And I wanted to make certain that my students felt that same joy. And so I made my curriculum culturally relevant in every way I could. Good for you. The diaspora, you know, Black people in the diaspora. Yes. And one of our great champions for Pan-Africanism, Marcus Garvey. Yes. Oh, my God. The great one and only. Yeah, mine too, Marcus Garvey. He did a lot to try to help Black people, people of ultimately, ultimately, no matter where we were dropped off at in the Americas and all over the world, our origin is on that continent, the continent of Africa. And Marcus Garvey did a lot to try to help African people, African descendant people understand, appreciate, acknowledge and embrace their blackness and all of its beauty and majesty. And the United States of America did that man in because he and J. Edgar Hoover was very much a part of it. Just what he did to Dr. The Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. What he did to Minister Malcolm X, the counter quarantine pro uh, that was at his hand to try to destroy the Black Panthers. I mean, you name it, you name it. Whenever there were leaders, whether they were men or women, you know, Angela Davis comes to mind a whole bunch of leaders that stood up for black people and told the truth about this nation. There was the federal government uh, trying to undo them, cause them harm, infiltrate them. And that is exactly what they did, causing a whole bunch of uh, chaos. Um, Chairwoman Elaine Brown is in, is still in Oakland right now, Uh, Oakland, California, you know, one of the the black Panthers and, and uh, just to hear some of the stories that she tells the movie Mm -hmm. that came out about Fred Hampton's life, Judith and the Messiah. It just brings tears to my eyes every time I watch that. And all of that was at the hands of the federal government. But I got off track here, just having you talk about the beauty of (laughs) Black people. And that's really how I came to study African-American history, too. I was told, you know, you'll never get a job and there's nothing relevant Mm -hmm. about what you're studying. My Mm -hmm. first college professor of African-American history is still my surrogate mother mentor to this day, Dr. Dorothy Salem. And Mary, I remember walking into that class as a freshman, you know, I signed (laughs) up for black history and I see this white woman with blonde hair and greenish kind of eyes standing in the front of the classroom. I said, I must be in the wrong class because only (laughs) black people can teach black history. Ain't nobody going to understand this lady. This white lady ain't going to understand. And Mm -hmm. she forever changed my life and is definitely the reason, similar to yours, that I came to embrace 
the beauty of black history and its relevance to America's history and to world history. Oh my God. Dr. Dorothy Salem. Let me shout her out. She has a PhD in African-American history. And I want to shout out Dr. Herbert Douglas. Yes. He's 86 years old. Uh Uh-huh. We stay in touch. And I was nervous about sending him my book because he's an intimidating figure. He taught at an Ivy League school and my husband mailed him the book and he sent me back a card with the quote that this impressive publication is a significant contribution to children's literature. So I didn't care what anybody else said. If Dr. Douglas felt that way about my book, I knew I was onto something. That's it. <laughs> no, when the teacher is pleased, yes. <laughs> the ultimate yes. teacher is pleased. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I know this is probably unfair to ask you to pick one of those 28 lessons, but would you be willing to share one of the 28 lessons with us today? Yes, that lesson would be, we will celebrate African-American beauty. African-American beauty comes in a variety of shades, facial features, and hair textures. That is our beauty, and we should compare ourselves to our beauty to our culture and not other cultures. Amen. Let's go deeper with that. 
Why that? Why is that the one you're sharing? And, and why put that in the book? I have to say they're all very special. I came from a severely dysfunctional family. And my mother was very light. She could have passed for white, actually. And my father was very dark. And she would argue with him constantly. And whenever she would argue with him, she would call him all kinds of names regarding his color. And I have to be honest, as a little girl, no matter what she said, I just thought my father was so handsome. I just thought he was regal. He had such a laid back personality. Oh my goodness, absolutely handsome. Nothing anyone could say will convince me otherwise. And when I was teaching, a lot of my darker skinned students felt inferior. They had an inferiority complex. And I would hear them calling each other names. And so to me, this was the most important lesson as a teacher to let everyone know that our hair texture has a purpose and that our features are all equal. Yeah, they're just different. Come on. You better preach that sermon, Sister Mary. <laughs> you better go ahead and preach that. And I can relate. And the fact that you have students of the 21st century. Yes. Still yes. harboring, still carrying yes. that yes. means that the Eurocentric worldview and the Eurocentric yes. and part of that worldview is what's yes. beautiful and what's not. And we know that we've right. been socialized in this nation and even the world, that standard of beauty has penetrated the right. entire world, right. that it has polluted as a black community in the diaspora. But particularly here in America, in the United States of America, polluted our sense of self. So going back to Brother Marcus Garvey, that was another yes. thing about him, that dark, yes. dark, beautifully yes. black skin. Yes. And he said to black people, rise up, you beautiful people. Yes. I mean, so it wasn't yes. even just, it was the solidarity point, but it was also him reminding us that we are brilliant yes. and we are beautiful. And Sister Mary, to hear you say that children of this day still... Yes feel that way, that they are yes. inferior because we're passing that down. And as much as we think we have advanced yes. it, you know what meant a lot to me? And I would love to hear how you felt about it. But I wish 12 year old Nina, because I'm a darker skin, black woman, I'm a chocolate. You have a gorgeous complexion, by the way. I love darker complexions. I always have. Well, thank you, Sister Mary. Well, everybody comes from the original. Let me just say that. Yes. Okay. The mitochondrial Eve that, you know, all life yes. originated in Africa. And you best believe Absolutely. she was a chocolate, chocolate sister. But we have That's been right. programmed to think the lighter you are, the closer to white you are, the more beautiful you are. And you are causing me to go back into my younger self, and even today as a grown, accomplished, beautiful, hot chocolate sister, I still <laughs> struggle with how I was yeah. treated in elementary right. school, in right. junior high, and also mm -hmm. high school as it relates right. to my complexion, mm -hmm. to the hue yes. of my skin. Yes. I remember in elementary school, this lighter skin girl, we were standing in line to go to uh, on a field trip and she just came up and, and she rubbed her hand against my face. Now, while she was all invading my space like that, that's a whole nother thing. Yes. And then she rubbed her yes. hand up against her face, Mary. And she turned and she said to me, she said, my skin, she was lighter than me. My skin is softer than yours because I'm lighter than you. Uh, uh, I mean, these things are poured into yeah. Children yeah. at a very young age. One of my nieces, she, she's grown now, but when she was uh, growing up, she had a white Barbie and a black Barbie. 
I, for one, don't believe that black children should be given white dolls until they have a sense of their beauty and their purpose. However, her paternal grandmother mm-hmm. felt the need to give her this white Barbie doll. And so I brought the dolls because she was only playing with white Barbie, vanilla Barbie. She wasn't playing with chocolate Barbie. And I asked her why. And she told me that the vanilla Barbie hair was longer. And I said, well, let's bring the Barbies together. Now, she's a little, little girl. Mm-hmm. Mary, there was no difference in the length of the hair of those Barbies. Mm-hmm. You better know mm-hmm. her mother didn't sit her down and say the white Barbie is better. Society mm-hmm. told her that's right that the white Barbie was better. That's right, you know. And so I'm I'm so happy for you and just you allowing the spirit to lead and to guide you because in those 28 lessons, every single one is important and germane to what is needed to help raise healthy. Black children who are aware of their worth and their beauty, but also yeah. to help children who are not black understand the worth. Exactly. And the exactly. I've had a um, white pediatrician, a white therapist. Many white people have contacted me to let me know how much they learned from my book. Very good. And that's that's mm-hmm. what we got to do. Again, African-American history is America's history and everybody should learn. Exactly. And if you are in a classroom anywhere in America, but especially if you mm-hmm. teach in a district that is predominantly black, you must understand what it takes to teach black children and also understand the stigma still that is associated right. with being black mm-hmm. and that there's colorism because we talk a lot about racism. We talk about it. We ain't mm-hmm. doing much about it, but we right. don't talk right. a lot. I don't think about is anti-blackness colorism. and colorism. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Colorism. Right. Let me share another story with you. I was in high school and I remember I was trying out for a play And I I finished my high school years back in Cleveland for like five brief years of my life. I was out of the state uh, growing up. My mother uh, took us uh, somewhere else for about five years. And I tried out for this play. It was a Charlie Brown. And Mary, I got to tell you, I tried out for Lucy. And I knew I did that. Have you ever had a moment in your life where you just said, I know I did that. I knew I did that. Exactly. And I stood up there and I was waiting, you know, when the teacher puts who got the parts, I didn't see my name by Lucy. And so I went to my drama teacher who was the one that was uh, directing the play and asked him, I said, I know I was the best Lucy. And he said, yes, Nina, you were the best Lucy, but Lucy is not black. Uh, Oh my God. Mary. Wow. That hurt me to my heart. Oh, yeah. Of course it I did. still carry it to this day. Lucy yes. ain't black. You hear me? I understand. Yep. Man, I, I, and people have no idea when you perpetuate this. And not only does yes. a larger society, mainstream society perpetuates this, black people continue to perpetuate it too. Because they don't know any better. Because they're still learning from what they're being taught. Subtly and consciously. Yeah. You know? Yes, absolutely. Subliminally, it is. Yeah, subliminally. Yeah. Yeah, that's the word. Yeah, we, we need, we definitely need yeah. to do a better job. I encourage each and every person mm-hmm. who is joining us today on Hello Somebody to go. Please go. Don't yeah. run. Well, you don't have to go anywhere. You can order it online, but please order <laughs> Mary Cole Watson's book. It's Wisdom Warriors, 22 short stories for African-American youth and that the 28 lessons are in the last story. In the last story. story. Okay. And yes. how can people find you on social media and where can they order your book? WisdomWarriors2020.com is where they can order my book. 
Very good. Well, please order it again. That's Wisdom Warriors. Let's talk about race. Please get it. Mary Cole Watson. And it includes the essential 28 lessons for African-American youth. And I would add to that the essential 28 lessons for African-American youth and those who love those African-American youth. How about that? Yeah. Oh, Mary Cole Watson, please keep using your gifts and your skills to edify the world. Keep bringing that wisdom and that love that the creator has given you for our children, lifting them up as individuals and also educating and illuminating the very people who are in classrooms with them. I'm talking about the grown folks. Keep doing what you're doing to make this world a better place. We are blessed by your existence. I will. And I thank you so much for inviting me on your podcast. It's been an honor. Well, the honor is And I really enjoyed listening to your words of wisdom at the gathering where I met you. Well, thank you so much. And I was glad to meet you too. I think that that happened on purpose. It wasn't by accident. And here we are uh, interviewing the one and only Mary Cole Watson. Thank you so much. And for all of you who have joined us today, we appreciate you so much. The the entire Hello Somebody team appreciates you for being with us. Make sure that you like our podcast. Make sure you give us those five stars, baby, if you believe in what we are doing. And remember to keep the faith and keep the fight. Hello, somebody, because everybody is somebody. Coming. The pain is numbing. Try to shoot for the stars if you gon' aim for something. Embrace the love for your brother and sister. Unity's the missing brush. We need to puzzle this picture. Let's paint it up, frame it up for the world to see. Hang the hatred up. Enough is enough is enough. Making changes on us. In Turner, her voice is the truth. Her wise words inspire the youth to keep their eyes on the roof. It's the end. Never give up. Keep conquering goals. To the eye, intelligence, silver, wisdom is gold. Back to the end. Now is your time. Stay firm. Don't fold. To the A. All you need is the three bones. That's what Granny said. Now I'ma make sure these words from Granny spread. For all of here, just give her your ear. She can take you to the promised land. I swear, world peace is what they fear. From Queens to Cleveland, Ohio, we here. Famous. Somebody is a production of iHeartRadio and the Black Effect Network. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. A new season of Bridgerton is here. 
And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.